was a good memory, wasn't it? Growing up, Rocky movies were one of my favorite films. I loved these Rocky movies. And one of my favorite parts of these Rocky films were always the training scenes, right? And remember those awesome training scenes? I was one of those boys that wanted to run with Rocky. And I got the gray sweatsuit on and I put the towel around my neck and I did all those trainings. Those training scenes that Rocky did, you know, when he did the push-ups and he clapped his hands and then, you know, his brother or his trainer would hit him in the stomach and I did the running, I did the jogging, I did all those things. I even drank the raw eggs. Anybody here drink the raw eggs along with Rocky Balboa? Yeah, because I wanted to emulate the guy that I admired, Rocky Balboa. And according to my mom, I also got my brother involved in these training sessions to be like Rocky. This is a picture with me and my younger brother. That was before, you know, tattoos came out. So, uh, so I got a permanent marker and I, and I wrote on his back and, and then he wrote on my back. You got to love the tidy whities right? That's my younger brother there. And, and we were way into Rocky because we wanted to physically train ourselves to be like the one that we admired. And physical training is of some value, is it not? Physical training is a very good thing to do, to go jogging, you know, and to work out or to play the piano or to study hard in school. Physical training is of some great value, but it's not enough. According to the scriptures, physical training is of some value, but there's another type of training that's even more valuable, both this life and the life to come. Paul says it this way. In 1 Timothy 4, he says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Physical training is a very good thing to do, to train your body to, to, to physically or to, to train your mind mentally or to, to practice the, the, the piano. Those are all excellent things to do. But there's this other dimension of training that's even more valuable. And that's training your spirit. That, that's the spiritual training to live a life of godliness, of godliness. And over the last few weeks, that's what we've been doing, right? We've been going through, we've been making these observations, these five things that God uses to make our faith stronger. Not five rules, not five commands. This is a new, new set of commandments. This isn't five things you must do to be a good Christian. These are just five observations. Five things that we've observed that God uses to make our faith stronger. And this is our theme verse over the last few weeks to learn not only how God is at work in our lives, but maybe to come alongside a student's life or to come alongside a family member's life and just to be aware of the things that God uses in any of our lives and help encourage people to enter in to, to another aspect of life that maybe God could use these things to help your faith grow stronger. And if you remember, these are some of the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks. First one was useful teaching, useful biblical teaching, that there's something about studying the scriptures or hearing the scriptures taught or reading the scriptures on your own or in a community group that encourages, that strengthens your faith. Then week two, we talked about habits, spiritual habits of disciplines of prayer and fasting and tithing and a journaling and a variety of different things that you can engage in, maybe small things consistently over a long period of time that will change your faith, that will develop your faith to be stronger. And the third one was our, our, our relationships, providential people, the people that God puts in our lives and we're making a decision, we're going through a difficult time and they just speak into our lives. 
that God brings these people into our lives. It's like, oh, it's like a message from the Lord through these relationships, these providential people that God brings into our lives. And then last week, we talked about sacrificial service, stepping out in faith, maybe listening to someone going through a difficult time or stepping out to do something that seems impossible. And you get this sense that God is at work in your life and through you to bless someone else. And it strengthens your faith. Four things, and this is the last one that we're going to talk about this morning, and it's defining moments, those pivotal circumstances in your life, in your life, maybe some of the most challenging aspects of your life that God can use to make your faith stronger. Maybe some difficult times, or, or maybe even some good things. Maybe it's getting married or having a child. Some circumstances in your life that God leverages for your faith to grow and strengthen your faith. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Jesus has three interactions with some people about faith, about what it means to be a person of faith, to have strong faith. And then he uses some very challenging circumstances to strengthen the faith of his disciples. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to go through the story of Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, the scene is a beach scene. Jesus is on the beach with his disciples. He just got finished healing many people. Many people from various diseases were healed. So there's this crowd around Jesus that happened all the time with Jesus. So Jesus says, I need to get away. And then he gives orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Verse 19, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He says, I want to be a person of faith. I want to follow you faithfully. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'm there. And this is a teacher of the law, right? This is a man who knows the scriptures. He is a teacher of the Bible. Verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's sort of a strange response, isn't it? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place. It's kind of an odd response. I mean, what is Jesus doing? I mean, wouldn't he want to recruit this theological student to be his team, to be on his team? Well, what is Jesus doing? It's kind of a strange response. Well, Jesus is describing himself. And his first description of himself is that of a homeless man. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you picture a homeless man, but Jesus is a wanderer. He's a drifter. He's got no place to lay his head. He goes from one place to the other. And he's a homeless man. But the second description that Jesus gives of himself is that of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the title given from Daniel's vision. The prophet Daniel described the Son of Man coming down from heaven to judge the living and the dead. It's this glorious picture of judgment. And Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, coming down in glory to judge the living and the dead. But first, I must suffer. And following me includes suffering. Living a life of faith includes suffering. And oftentimes... When I think about one of the areas that rattles our faith the most is these times of suffering. 
when something difficult happens into our, in our lives, the first thing that we sometimes do is say, God, where are you? Aren't you with me? And, and these times of suffering can rattle our faith the most, but Jesus clears it up right away. He says, following me includes suffering. Difficult times are to be expected. Don't be surprised when tough times hit you. And most likely this teacher walked away from the invitation to follow Jesus. And another person comes up to Jesus. Actually, it's a disciple. Verse 21, it says this. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now notice this is a disciple, right? This is a follower of Jesus. And he makes a very reasonable request. In fact, instead of calling Jesus teacher, he says, Lord, he says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Consistent with the fifth of the tenth commandment, a fifth of the ten commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. Let me go and bury my father. Particularly in the first century, this was an important task for a son or daughter to do, to take care of the burial of your parents. This is a reasonable request from a disciple to take care of a father and the burial rites. But Jesus responds to this reasonable request from a disciple by saying the following. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, this is almost rude. I mean, this is a reasonable request from a disciple that wants to take care of his father, of his family. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And what that means is let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But either way, it's just sort of crass. It's just sort of rude. I mean, what is Jesus doing saying to this disciple, let the dead bury their own dead? Well, Jesus is raising the standard. He's raising the standard. He says, following me is an all or nothing deal. He's raising the standard. See, this disciple had a yes but answer to the call to follow Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and take care of my family. He says, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and, 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 and take care of my children and, and do this thing for my parents. He says, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but... He had a yes but answer to the invitation, and Jesus clears that up. He says, that's not how faith works. That's not how following me works. He says, I'm the Lord. I'm your master. You follow me and let the other things in life take care of themselves. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. Seek me first, Jesus said. And then he goes on to say, most likely this disciple also walked away. In verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now that's a key word to this story. These are his disciples. In contrast to a disciple, in contrast to a teacher of the law, this is a, these are his disciples. His true followers get into the boat to live a life of faith. And one would think that Jesus might give them a break. You know, after seeing this interaction, they do get into the boat. One would think that Jesus might give these guys a break, but no way, this party is just starting. 
This opportunity to strengthen their faith is about to happen. Once they give them, once they get into the boat, God begins to stretch their faith. God strengthens the faith of his disciples. There's some very difficult circumstances. Verse 24, without warning, a ferocious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. Now, the Greek word here for ferocious storm is sesmos megas. That just sounds big, right? I mean, it is a big storm. Literally, it's an earthquake. It's an earthquake-sized storm. All of a sudden comes upon these disciples. I mean, it's a ferocious storm. I mean, you can picture the scene. They're in this boat along the Sea of Galilee. It's not that big of a lake. And all of a sudden, the sky turns black. And the wind picks up and the rain comes down and they're tossing back and forth. Waves are, are, are coming, water's going into the boat. They can't even see what they're doing. The picture that comes to my mind is Gilligan's Island, right? I, I mean, truly, I mean, it's Gilligan's Island. I mean, the weather starts getting rough, you know, and the, the tiny ship is being tossed. I mean, it's not for the courage of the fearless crew. The minnow would be lost. I mean, this is a huge storm. And they don't know if they're going to make it, Right? They don't know if they're going to live or die. The weather starts getting rough. And in the midst of this storm, this earthquake-sized storm, they look, and there's Jesus, asleep. He's sleeping. But Jesus was asleep. Now, I have met some hard sleepers, right? My wife is a very hard sleeper. But Jesus is sleeping. And the question that, 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 that must arise as we read this story is how? How could Jesus be sleeping in the middle of an earthquake-sized storm? And the question, or the answer comes in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 24, where we read this. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. See, sleep back then was a sign of trust in God's protection. Sleep was a sign that, that God was at work in your life, that he is one to be trusted. There's no need to be afraid of sudden disasters. There's no reason to be afraid of storm. When you lie down, you can sleep because God's in control of your life. See, Jesus could sleep because he trusted God. But his disciples, they were wide awake. Verse 25. When the disciples went and they woke him and they said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. They shook Jesus. They woke him up and they said, Lord, please help us, we're going to drown. We don't know if we're going to make it. And they got to remember, there's at least four fishermen in this boat, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they've been in storms before. But this storm is so big, they're so scared, they run to Jesus. They wake Jesus up. They say, Jesus, please help us. We don't know if we're going to make it. We're in the middle of circumstances beyond our control. Please come help us, Jesus. And Jesus replies. Jesus replies in a way that just shakes me. And, and, and he responds in verse 26 by saying this. You of little faith. He says, your faith is weak. He says, your faith is so small. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried? Why are you so concerned about the things outside of your 
control. Don't you believe I'm stronger than the wind and the waves? Don't you believe that I want to make your faith stronger? And then Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. He he spoke a word of power. He rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. All of a sudden, this huge storm, this, this, this mother of all storms was quieted to whisper by the word of Jesus. He quieted the storm. It was completely calm, as smooth as glass. And then the disciples respond, verse 27, they said, the men were amazed and they asked, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The men didn't question Jesus saying, who is this man? The men marveled. The men stood in awe. They said, whoa, this is no ordinary man. This is a man that has command over the wind and the waves. This is a man of power. And they stood in awe in the presence of of Jesus, and their faith grew stronger. See, this was a defining moment in the life of the disciples. This was a a pivotal circumstances, a pivotal circumstance in their life. They saw a ferocious storm. They got into the boat. After hearing the, the teacher of the law interaction, after hearing the disciple, they got into the boat and then they experienced God's power in their life and they saw God's power displayed. They saw God provide for their needs. They saw God protect them and their faith grew stronger. Their faith increased because just a few chapters later, in verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says this. It says this. He sent them out into the world. Jesus sent, he called the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He sent them out into the world with the same authority to speak to the wind and cause it to calm. He's he's the same authority to drive out evil spirits. See, this storm on the sea marked the disciples for life. It changed them. They saw Jesus in a different light. They experienced Jesus in a different light because Jesus ministered to them. Jesus spoke to them. Jesus displayed his power in the midst of their life-threatening circumstances. Now, certainly these disciples messed up later on. I mean, they were a clumsy group. I mean, they took two steps forward, one step back, but this changed them. They experienced God's power, and then they started to walk in the power of God. And then they entered into ministry, and they were casting out demons. They were participating in the movement of Jesus after experiencing God's power in their circumstances. See, that's what circumstances can do. They can mark you. They can change you. They can define your faith. When you let the life-threatening circumstances in your life, in your family, in your job, move you not away from God, but to God, your faith can grow stronger. So my question to you this morning is simply this. What are those circumstances? What are those storms that you tend to draw away from that God might be saying, lean into Because it's in those moments that I want to shape you, that I want to define you, that I want to change you, that I want to make your faith grow 
stronger. I had the privilege as part of our Do Something campaign to go to Africa last month. And thank you for all of you that have prayed uh, with me and for me. But Bill, our church chair, and I went to Africa last month. We were there for three weeks. We visited nine countries, about 20 different ministries. And we had the chance to meet people of tremendous faith, strong faith in the midst of horrible circumstances. I mean, women affected with HIV AIDS and children living in the slums. I mean, and then other people stepping out to minister to the women affected by HIV AIDS, to to minister to the children, just tremendous faith in the midst of horrible storms. And one part of our journey, we had to go, we we had the opportunity to go to Congo and to visit the ministries that the covenant's been part of for the last 75 years. And it was a truly humbling experience to sit in the, in the presence of spiritual giants in the midst of very challenging circumstances. I just wanted to hear their story and to hear their stories of faith. But on this particular day, I had the opportunity to speak to a gathering of about 450 pastors, 450 church leaders in the rural part of Congo. And so you can see in the picture, it's a, it's a packed church building. In fact, there are speakers on the outside for another you know, 50 or, or, or 100 other people that are listening in to these gatherings. And this is about a third day into our trip into Congo. And in Congo, you speak Lingala or French, of which I know neither. And so these first few meetings, I was kind of picking up on, on the language. I, I, I then had to stand before this group of pastors and church leaders and give a message on uh, a text that they gave me that I prepared for ahead of time. And so my first words, standing before this group of, of uh, African leaders, my first words were as follows. I said this. I said, Akumisama. And uh, they all responded by saying, Asanzolama. And it was a very cool moment, I must say. I, I, uh, I, I picked up on just two phrases in Lingala, and they really worked well. So I said it again. I said, Akumisama. And they all responded, Asanzolama. And I said again, Asanzalama. And they said, Akumisama. I said, Asanzalama. They said, Asanzalama. And it was just this naniyesu. It was just this, this roar of applause afterward. Now, I'm not really sure what those two phrases mean. <laughs> I'm sure it has something to do with Jesus. It could have been taste great, lights, less filling. I don't know. I don't know. But it was a great moment to stand before these leaders of the faith. And to say a phrase that connected with their hearts. One missionary said, I just had to sit down after that. You know, because in just a short amount of time, I was able to connect. And, and after that interaction, I, I, I said to them, you know, you may not believe this, but I'm really not from around here. And then I, I shared a text that they wanted me to speak on as, as, a, as a minister of the gospel. And I grabbed a rock. You may have seen the photo of me a couple weeks ago, but I grabbed a rock. And I, and, I, and I said to this group of church leaders, I says, where in the scriptures do we read about a rock? And I did the little Hulk Hogan thing. I says, you know, tell me more. And they were giving me answers. And, and they were describing different passages of scripture that describe a stone or a rock in the scriptures. And I says, yeah, but there's one. There's one that I'd like to turn to this morning. And I had us turn to Psalm 18 and Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, it says, God is our rock and our redeemer. And in Psalm 18, Psalm 18, it says the following. 
I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take refuge. God is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And I reminded these church leaders that God is our rock. God is our fortress and our strength and our deliverer. I reminded them that, that, that David probably wrote that psalm when he was running from his enemies in En Gedi. En Gedi is these cliffs. And he probably ran into the cliffs, hiding from Saul and his enemies. And he says, this is the place that I take refuge. This is the place that I run to for protection. This is the place to, that I go to when I am deeply afraid. I go to the rock. In the midst of the storms, I run to the rock. That's the place that I go to for shelter, for safety. And as I, was, as I was standing there, and even before that, I was reflecting upon the storms in the lives of the Congolese men and women that I was standing in front of. You know, there's been a civil war for way too long in Congo. I mean, the infrastructure in Congo is just wiped out. Out of the 187 countries in the world, Congo's at the bottom. I mean, malnutrition is everywhere. One pastor said that in the course of one month, he did 20 funerals for children that died of preventable diseases. I mean, it is just a horrible, horrible place. And as I stood there, I said, how can I connect with people like, these, like the children whose, whose stomach is stretched out because he doesn't have enough to eat? How can I remind them that God is our rock? How can I connect with them with the sufferings that they've endured? And I, I remembered a story from my own journey when we were going through a difficult time. And I've mentioned this story before, but it's worth repeating. When my wife and I were going through a, a time of, of challenge for my daughter's life, she, had, she was diagnosed with leukemia when she was four and a half years old. And it was, it was a really, really difficult time. You know, I, I, I didn't know much about leukemia. All I knew was that my childhood friend died of it when I was a kid. And, and I was deeply afraid. And when, uh, when Michaela started going through her treatment plan, uh, you know, it was, it was two and a half years. And she lost all her hair, and, and, and she almost, we almost lost her. She's 10 years old now. But at about six months into this, she was ju- just towards her, her fifth birthday. Um, she was in her, uh, Christine was tucking her into bed along with her, her younger sister. And uh, Michaela asked my wife this question. Did God give me leukemia? And my wife paused, prayed, and answered my daughter's question this way. She says, no, God didn't give you leukemia. God is our strength. God is our rock. God is the one that we run to. God is our healer. God is the one that gives us strength to fight leukemia. And then she says this. She says, "Uh, you know, Michaela, we all face hard things, and we don't get to pick them. You know, daddy had a knee injury and mom got in a, it was in a car accident when she was younger. And, and she went on to list a couple of hard things. She says, we all face hard things if we don't get to pick them. And Michaela looked at her three-year-old sister and pointed and says, well, what's Annika going to get? You know? <laughs> if we're all getting something hard, I want to know what she's getting. You know? and, 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 and Christine says, you know, we all face hard things whether you live in Congo or in Minnesota, and we don't get to pick them. But we do get to pick how we will respond. Will we run away from the rock? Or will we run to the rock? 
in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our job loss, in the midst of the painful things that face us every day, will we run away from the rock or will we run to the rock and say, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my Savior. The Lord is my Redeemer. See, that's the power of the pivotal circumstances in our lives that we all face all the time. Some are bigger than others, but we face them all the time. And the question that we must all answer is, will I run to the rock or will I run away? And will I let these pivotal circumstances define my faith? Will I let them make my faith stronger? Because that's what God uses. That's what God uses the most. Of all the five things that God uses to make our faith grow stronger, it's these circumstances that are extremely painful, that are out of our control, that God uses in the most intimate ways to make our faith stronger. And I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what painful trials you or your family members are going through. All I know is that God is our rock. And that in the storms of life, he uses the most painful things for the best opportunities to make our faith stronger. And the question is, will we run to the rock? Will we run to the rock and say, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. Use this circumstance to strengthen my faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of, of your presence in our lives. Knowing that our circumstances may not change, but we will. Our faith, our trust in you can grow stronger in the midst of any and every storm that we face. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way in our hearts, even this morning, as we consider some of the circumstances that we want to run away from or shake our fist at you and open up our hands and say, God, use this circumstance to make my faith strong. Do a work in us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.